Gratitude and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness explores reconciling grief, the gratitude that allows us to persevere, and the greatness we achieve when we connect with purpose. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. There are artists in our world who address our grief with their talents. Lori Mason is one of those people. She creates memorial quilts assembled from the ephemera of those who have died. I speak with Lori about her inspiration and process and about her own experiences with grief. I made my first quilt when I was in art school. Mm -hmm. I went to the Oregon College of Art and Craft and did a fibers degree there. There was a dye work class, so Mm -hmm. I was dyeing fabric, and then I took a quilt class there. Yeah, making a quilt. I just loved it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely loved it. So I've always liked sewing, but was never very good at clothing, which I thought, oh, if you like sewing, you have to make clothes. And then I discovered quilting and it was like, oh, yeah, because I'm very 2D oriented. So I made that quilt, and then I was so excited about quilting that I made, the second quilt I made was for another class, and I had these pants that I had since high school, and I loved them, but they were falling apart, but the fabric pattern was so awesome. So I took three garments that I had that I'd put in the Goodwill pile and made another quilt out of it. And so that was my first quilt where I had deconstructed clothing and then made something out of that. What a cool idea. What was the pattern on the pants? It was an indigo kind of funky East Indian kind Uh of pattern. It was really pretty. And then I had a shawl that my mom had given me, this dark blue wool shawl that style-wise was not really what I liked. So I cut that up Mm -hmm. and cut up the pants. It was a blue and white quilt. It was really pretty. You still have it? I do. At what point did you think it would be a good idea to make memorial quilts? I have had a very good friend who we were both freshmen in college together. And then we ended up living in different houses with other people, communal houses and stuff. Really good friend of mine. She's from Los Angeles. And her dad had been married three times, was on his third wife and had three bypass surgeries and Mm. was not in very good health. And he ended up dying our last year of college. And the third wife, needless to say, had changed the will and this friend of mine was allowed to walk through his house and pick a few things out. Mm. That was what she got from her dad. So she knew that I quilted. And so she asked me one day if I would consider making a quilt. She had this bag of neckties that were her dad's. And so I made a quilt out of these neckties for her. And the process of A, doing it, and B, giving it to her and seeing what that was like for her was incredible. And then a few years after that, my grandmother died and I went through the whole process myself as somebody who was grieving somebody very close to me. And I ended up making four quilts out of my grandmother's clothes. So it just went on from there. Were the quilts for all her grandkids? So it's just me and my brother and a cousin. So there's only three Mm -hmm. of us. And I made one for each of us and actually two for me and then one for (laughs) my brother and my cousin. Yeah. So it was neat. You know, because I went back and this was like two weeks after she had died and my grandfather was... They'd been married more than 50 years. He just wanted us to get rid of everything, you know. Mm. It's very Germanic. It's Austrian. So me and my mom and my aunt 
went through her closet. And of course, anyone who's gone through having to go through somebody's closet knows how hard that is and how hard it is to think about getting rid of anything. And each piece of clothing has some sort of memory. Mm. You know, we found gloves and we found garter belts from like the 20s and, you know, just incredible stuff. But all of these fabrics and clothing that I'd seen her wear, I was like, nope, can't get rid of that, can't get rid of that, (laughs) get rid of that. And But I couldn't wear it. I didn't really want to wear it. So I made like four different piles. One was all of her white clothes. One was all of these crazy prints because she loved fashion. Yeah. And she always lived near New York. So she had these poochie prints and amazing 60s pantsuits and just crazy. Real poochie. Yeah, real poochie. Mm. Yeah. So she had some nice clothes. I mean, what's it like to like cut a poochie garment? Yeah. I imagine um, yeah, they're but, pretty collectible and yep. have some value. In general, I don't really think about that as much as the fact that it's an artifact from somebody's life and mm. I'm transforming it into yeah. something else. And so I can appreciate the pattern. I can appreciate the textile. I just make the first cut and there you go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes my medium that I'm working in. Have you ever had a time where you've had a hard time making that first cut into something? Yes. I made a quilt for somebody whose father had died and he had this amazing collection of tailored shirts that were specifically tailored for him. And one of the shirts he had had tailored in Italy Mm -hmm. and you turned it inside out and all of the seams were finished. There was not a loose thread or anything, the most beautiful fabric. (laughs) So I did pause for a moment, but I was like, yep, my job is to change these into something, right. you know, for somebody. Back in the day, I used to be a purveyor of vintage clothing. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The idea of just seeing those shears mm-hmm. cutting through a immaculate garment. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I'm glad it's not my job. I think the idea that certainly how I approach it is that it's just changing form. And the form that I'm making is also equally as beautiful, but just a different function. Mm -hmm. So what's the process like, you know, when somebody contacts you? Mm -hmm. People can be in various states of readiness. I mean, I suppose when they contact me, they are ready to sort of relinquish these mementos from somebody. And sometimes they have no idea what they want. And so we look on my website, we look at quilts that I've already done, and we talk about pattern. I listen to them talk about their loved one. I ask them questions about who they were, because that often will inform either the design or what I'm thinking about as I'm working. I mean, it sounds woo-woo, but I really like to connect with their spirit or a feeling, or sometimes if I know what kind of music they liked, I'll put that music on. Really? Just something, yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's these touch points that I feel like if I can kind of get in the zone, I, things go a little smoother. Has there been a project where working on their quilt got you really curious about that individual? Almost everyone, but one that's standing out right now was my first sort of younger person mm-hmm. who had died. This girl who was 16 when she died and her mom asked me to make a quilt out of her clothes. She also sent along these drawings that she'd done you know how people are into coloring books now, sort of the oh, yeah. really beautiful coloring books. So she had done these wonderful kind of abstract geometric coloring book drawings. And her mom sent those along because they were sort of quilty or they had quilt-esque qualities to them. Asked me whether I could kind of interpret or somehow use those as inspiration. Wow. I ended up making 
a pattern based on those and then using her clothing. And I can't imagine anything worse than losing a child. And this woman was so just graceful in how she talked about her daughter. And I, you know, I wish that I would have known her, you know, yeah. that I could have known her because she sounded like a really incredible young person. And then one other one was one of my more recent ones. I was commissioned by a young woman whose father had died and he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And she sent me his medic, you know, the badges that go around his, his armbands. Yeah. He had two armbands. There was an American flag, which I think he was just very patriotic. So she sent an American flag and these medic armbands. I have the box on my table and I opened it up and right on top were these armbands. I mean, she'd wash, everybody washes, you know, but you couldn't get the dirt out, right? They had seen a lot. You know, I just felt like this man had seen a lot and his garments were really a testament to his experience over there. That was super intense. I bet. I mean, just the reverence that you hold for this work that you do Mm -hmm. and for the items that you're working with. Mm -hmm. I light a candle every time I start work. I have a candle that I always light, take a few breaths. I just, I have this sort of ritual that I do at the beginning of each session. It's really just lighting a candle and trying to take five deep breaths to get my own experience from the day or whatever, <laughs> kind of let that go. And yeah. I think about the person, even if it's just their name, I think it's just clarity and groundedness Yeah, so that I can make the right choices. Because this fabric, that's all I have. If I make a mistake, it's like, ah. Have you ever made a mistake? I haven't actually. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would admit it if I had. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking. You have a finite amount of material to Mm -hmm. work with. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about it. You know, in design, if you're just given, you know, make whatever you want when you have either an endless amount of material or whatever, but I work in these constraints and Mm -hmm. that's actually what's really exciting about the work. I may only get five garments or I might get 53 or I might have a shirt that I don't think is very attractive or, you know what I mean? Like all that stuff. And it's not really for me to judge, right? It's not about me. It's about taking something that somebody feels so strongly about and it's about love and it's about memory and it's about grieving and the whole thing. Mm. And I kind of feel like I'm a transformative agent. You know, I sort of bring the stuff in and then I jumble it around and make it into what it should be and then I send it on. Lori, (laughs) T.A., transformative agent. Thank you for listening in to this episode of Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness. We appreciate you following the work we do and would love it if you'd share us with your friends and family. Your recommendation helps us reach more ears and build upon the work we're doing. And these people are all over the world, so it's not like you get to see them receive these quilts. I don't. The responses I get are like the best, Mm. you know. I mean, mean, just the idea of being able to lay beneath a quilt, something that's so comforting Mm -hmm. that speaks of the person that's been lost. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's all we want is just to be wrapped up by that person who's gone, right? What a great idea. Yeah. I had somebody email me two weeks after her husband died and said, I want this quilt done. I have all this stuff. I'm sending it to you. And then I had, on the flip side, somebody who'd waited 20 years, you know, had his partner's clothing in his closet for actually 30 years, I think. 
never could part with it. Part with it. Heard about me through a friend and was like, oh, okay, I think I'm ready. And then there's, of course, everything in between. What's the process beginning to end? Like, I'm going to say, you know, really depends on how big they are and what the pattern is and how complex it is. And I go by hours because I sometimes only work two or three hours at a time. I'm going to say an average of anywhere from 20 to 50 hours mm. on a quilt. And then I have a professional machine quilter who I piece everything together. And a lot of times I'll piece the back together as well because maybe some fabrics didn't make it onto the front or maybe there's some special fabrics or things that have a lot of words in them. You know, maybe mm-hmm. there's a graphic or something that I didn't want to put on the front. A lot of times I'll piece together a back, which is sort of nice because it's like the flip side and it can be, you know, the underside of the quilt. It's kind of nice to do that. So I piece everything together and then I have a quilter here in town who quilts everything. And I've been working with her for, I want to say, 15 years. And she's the only one I'll let, <laughs> I'll let near them. So yeah. yeah, I'll bring them over and she's like, oh, who are we working with today? You know, she's also really excited about Aww. being able to be part of the process. What a big sense of responsibility. It's great that you have a partner yeah that has that equal yeah level of respect as you totally do. I know you've had your own share of grief too mm. I'm wondering how much of your own grief directs you as you're working on these faults mm-hmm. are you able to really step outside uh, yeah. of it I mean I don't understand every type of grief obviously but I'm able to step outside of it because I know that it's not my grief that I'm working with when I'm working on these quilts But at the same time, I know how important and how precious and sacred these pieces of Mm -hmm. clothing or whatever it is that I'm working with. It's really important for me to have a sense of trust, have them feel that they can trust me. And that's something that I start, I mean, just in conversation. I mean, I don't say explicitly, but I really want them to get a sense of who I am before they even send me anything. It's just through conversation and me asking them about their loved one and talking about my process and asking them questions, letting them ask me questions and stuff like that. What's the most interesting materials you've worked with? I did one recently, which actually were not somebody's clothing, but their collection of textiles. This was somebody's father who'd done a lot of traveling through mm-hmm. the Middle East. And he was a professor, but also had done a lot of traveling, was a was Middle Eastern studies professor or something. Mm-hmm. His son, who asked me to make this quilt, said, you know, dad's clothes were just, you know, overalls. And he's like, I just don't want a quilt made out of them. But he has this collection of fabrics that he bought while he he was traveling. And oh my gosh, (laughs) it's just amazing. So through India and Pakistan and Iran, he traveled all over for many years and had this amazing collection of fabrics. And so that was really cool. Isn't that fascinating how, you know, this individual who wore overalls yeah. <laughs> and whose own personal sartorial choices mm-hmm. would be so bland. A person like that collecting textiles? Yeah. Does that seem weird? It does a little bit, but... I mean, that's great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Were they garments or are they fabric? I think a lot of them were fabrics, but there was also some of those robes that men wear that go down to their ankles, mm-hmm. you know. There was a couple different Indian saris that were amazing. Mm. And what was so cool was that the whole collection had black and white colors and also a lot of pinks and magenta. Mm. So the whole quilt's sort of pink and black and white and magenta. And Sounds real like 60s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so inspiring and so joyful 
in the process of creating something beautiful, there's so much joy. And I want to infuse what I do with that sort of hopeful, joyful, colorful, whatever it is, you know, because we're honoring the person. We're not honoring their death so much as just Mm -hmm. who they were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds super fun, actually. Yeah. I mean, it sounds kind of like a puzzle. You know, where do I match these up? Yes. Sounds super fun. Yeah. Well, now I have this sense because I've done so many of them that any puzzle I'll be able to figure out. So I have a confidence there that I didn't maybe in the first few years I was making these. I'd be like, oh, I hope I don't mess up. or <laughs> Oh, I hope I don't, you know, or I hope I have enough of this if I make a pattern that has this color or whatever. But my most current one that actually isn't finished yet is another interpretation of a painting that somebody did. And it has this huge tree. And this man's widow asked me to interpret this painting and to keep the tree this is like a double size quilt and this wow. tree covers the whole quilt. So I've never applicated a tree. So I'm like, okay, now how am I going to? It was a super duper puzzle, but I figured it out and I got the top all made and I'm just so excited. And this is the point. Oh, cool. Once I make the top, I'm like, okay, just can't wait to give it to her. You know, I just can't wait. She's going to love it. So you're asking... How can I support the awesome work that's happening on the Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness podcast? Become a backer on Patreon. Your support allows us to deliver conversations that help to dissolve the stigma and evolve our culture around grief. You'll find a link to contribute via Patreon in the show notes. And if you have something valuable to offer our listeners, let's talk. We'd love to invite you to sponsor the show. people who are grieving are somewhat conditioned to not bum other people out and yeah. not bring up the person who's gone because, oh, that's going to put a sour tenor over whatever's yeah. happening. Or It's so crazy not to talk about people, yeah. but it I don't know if taboo is too strong of a word, but it definitely seems like it's an unsaid social norm to mm-hmm. let's not yeah. go there. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure when you're asking questions, it probably perks people up. Yeah. What's one of the toughest questions you feel like you've had to ask somebody? Well, I want to say that I had a tough question that I didn't ask because of the taboo around suicide. And Mm. I didn't actually know that this client's son had taken his own life. But the very fact that she wasn't talking about how he died and he had died, you know, he was in his early 20s. I had a hunch that it may have been suicide. And normally I do ask people if they want to share how the person died. And and I didn't ask her. And I'm wondering now whether I should have, because I am like carrying on that feeling of that she couldn't talk about it if she wanted to. It's sort of this touchy thing where it's like, well, if somebody doesn't share it off the bat, I don't want to press yeah. them. I often like to say that I'd rather talk about how a person lived than how they died. Mm-hmm. And I say that because my experience has been that when I share about someone who's recently deceased, I get asked two questions. How did they die and how old were they? Uh And that seems to be about as far as some people's attention span holds them to ask questions about how somebody lived, Uh especially in the work that you're doing, because your quilts are a representation of their life, not their death. And I think that's certainly what I lead off with. Tell me about what they like to do and what you guys like to do together and all that. I don't need to focus on how they died. But a lot of times they'll just want me to know Mm. this person 
battled brain cancer for nine years and it was really hard. Yeah, they can tell their story. And then that story gets kind of wrapped up in the quilt, whether it's something that's obvious design-wise, like the tree or or yeah. just something that's there because I was thinking about them as I was making it. I was watching a video about your process. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Thank you. It's obvious you take your work really seriously. But you had shared something just very briefly about having a friend, Mm -hmm. something about not knowing what to say. Mm -hmm. My best friend in high school, I was 18, she was 19. Her sister died suddenly. She had an older sister. We lived a few hours away and she was supposed to come visit me that weekend. And she called just completely broken down and said that her sister had just died and she couldn't come and she had to get off the phone because she was just distraught. And I had never had anybody close to me die. I had never had a family member die that I was close to or a friend who'd lost somebody. I just had no idea what to say, what to do. And in the course of that initial conversation, she just said, I got to go, whatever, she had to fly back east. And I said, I don't know what I said, call me when you get back or call me when you're ready or where you can talk. And and I just, in my mind, I I thought, okay, well, she's grieving. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll just leave her alone and let her call me when she's ready. And I want to say, I have very few regrets in my life. I I tend to just look at things as, you know, learning opportunities. But that is the one thing that I regret in my life is that I didn't pick up the phone and call her. And I didn't pick up the phone for like two months. Mm. (laughs) And she... At the end of the two months, I, I think I missed I missed the memorial service. I didn't send her a card. I think I may have called her once and I got a busy signal or something yeah. like that. I think that was probably the worst thing I did to anybody in my whole life. And it's amazing. We're still friends. I, I want to say she was so angry with me, rightly so. When I was a junior in college, I spent a year in England and I had three weeks prior to when school started over there to travel around and I really wanted to visit Scotland and Ireland. And so my friend went with me. It was super rainy. And she's like a sun goddess, even though we both grew up in Seattle. <laughs> she's just, so it's rainy and she was not happy about that. And we were in a youth hostel and I don't know how it came up, but we had a very intense conversation and I wasn't sure at the end of the conversation whether we were still friends. There was only so much apology that I could say. There's only so many things you can say, even though my heart was like, oh my God. Because she started explaining what it was like for her to lose her sister and yeah. how we had been best friends and why why didn't I call? You know, it's just, and this was two years later and I'm like, why didn't I call? Why didn't I call you? I couldn't answer that mm. except that I was afraid of her sadness or something. I don't know. I was afraid she would be mean to me if I asked the wrong question or, you know, just these mm. really stupid Whatever. I was 18. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Well, some of us are much older than that yeah. and have no idea what I know. we're doing. I know. So I let her, I mean, she had every right to tell me how she felt. And she did. <laughs> good on her for being yeah. able to share that with you. Yeah. And good on you for being able to take it and yeah. hear it. Yeah. Even with all this work I do to explore, I feel like I still have... I still often come up empty with knowing what to yeah. say mm-hmm. to people yeah. when they're grieving mm-hmm. because I think 
for me, it's really important not to just deliver a canned response, you know? Yeah. The advice you get to not give advice, which I think is really good, and not to talk about yourself, because that's the first thing you want to talk about is like, I know how you feel. I blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Like, no. Sometimes it's just, I'm here, I'm listening. That's all you need to say. Lay it on me. Yeah. What do you want to say? Or do you want to talk about the blazer game? I mean, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, if you are tired of talking about your grief or whatever, do you want to just go get a sandwich? Yeah. That kind of thing. Giving them an opportunity not to have to be the grieving person. When you're grieving and in that space, it's hard to be real with people that can't imagine the depth of pain that you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. So when you have someone close to you who doesn't counter your grief with their own experience and who, but who can actually just let you know that, hey, I know this is tough. Mm-hmm. I know how you're feeling is heavy. Mm-hmm. I've been in those conversations and then something mundane and trivial somehow trips into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can both laugh at it. It just unrolls into a regular conversation about yeah. sports or right. kids. But getting from that A to B. I think it's important to start with A so that they know you're listening As long as you have that, that they understand you're listening and you're not trying to make them spill everything that they've been feeling if they don't want to or whatever, as long as there's sort of that underlying understanding, then you can talk about what to make for dinner without it feeling like you're trying to avoid talking about something. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally know what you're saying. I've been having these conversations with my kids because sometimes they get down about stuff. And I'll say, you know, a lot of people have a lot of personal pain that they just don't share and people don't know about. Mm -hmm. You can't just look at everybody around you and think that everyone's life is (laughs) hunky-dory. Exercising more kindness around everyone is so important. We could all just, by default, just expect kindness. Mm -hmm. I think that that experience, while I regret my behavior... I don't think it's uncommon. I mean, maybe in the amount that I waited may have been, but I think that we are so afraid of people who are grieving and that fear just makes us isolate ourselves from people who need us. Or isolate them. Or isolate them, of course. Yeah. Right, because we're afraid. We don't know what to say. Afraid of saying the wrong thing. I find it very interesting that I'm doing this work because, you know, when I talk to prospective clients, I'm right there. I got to make myself ask them about their loved one. And there's times I'm really uncomfortable about it because I don't know what state they're in or I don't know where they are in their grieving. But the more I do it, the more I realize. And from my own experience and my own grief, I don't mind telling the story. I want to tell people about who I lost. It's like, right, (laughs) we want to share. Grief, Gratitude and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn and me, Sarah Shaul. The music was by Samantha Jensen. Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. 
If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share or topics you'd like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. Call or text our show at 503-454-6646 or send us a message via the contact link at griefgratitudegreatness.com. Be sure to let your friends know about us and join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.